This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. You shouldn't have invited me if you want <laughs> want this to be a serious conversation. No, we don't want it to be serious. Oh, it's serious, it's going to be light. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so how do we go? Starting is on. I'm going to start. <laughs> okay. Does that red light mean it's on? Yeah, the red light means we're recording. Okay. Yeah, I think this uh, should be included in the podcast. Yeah, I think this is this the funny is, stuff. This is the good stuff right here. This is what people want to hear. <laughs> hey, Corey, thanks for having Jeremy and I. Uh, <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is Corey with Harvesting Nature. Uh, we have a special edition tonight. Uh, we are recording on location, aka my kitchen, with my friends, two of which I uh, hunt a lot with. One of which just showed up. <laughs> just showed up today. <laughs> so, uh, tonight we have Jeremy. Tony and Tyler, myself. Um, if you guys want to introduce yourselves, yeah, go ahead, Tony. Yeah, warm <laughs> hey, us up, Tony. This is uh, Tony. I'm here to talk about muzzleloaders tonight. So we've been uh, what has it been about three or four years? We've been getting together to hunt late season muzzleloader in PA, and uh, I think this of... was the fourth year, wasn't it? Yeah, I think 2017 was the first year that I went. Yeah, so we've had a lot of fun and uh, just. Here to talk about our experiences and uh, hopefully shed some light on what the late season muzzleloader is like in Pennsylvania. I'm Jeremy. Um, I got two kids at home, uh, Grant and Elodie. Grant's seven, Elodie's five. I'm a teacher. Uh, I teach for the Warren County School District. I teach middle school science. 
Um, I'd say right now my passions are uh, trying to kill big bucks in the A&F. And A&F being Allegheny, Allegheny National, National Forest. Forest. And uh, I'd like to dabble in a lot of other outdoor activities too. Tyler? Uh, yeah, my name's Tyler. I, uh, I don't go hunting with these guys. I usually make an excuse over here. Not to go. Yeah. Although yeah, I have to say, you're gonna go. you didn't invite me this year. <laughs> we invited you to get a hunting license this yeah. year. Yeah. But you we tried to twist something. your arm. Yeah, but, I thought you were going goose hunting with us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was yeah. a fiasco. <laughs> so anyways, I'm here to, to learn about muscle loading. Hey, there we're always looking for new recruits too. So yeah. if any yeah. of these listeners out here in uh, Northwest Pennsylvania, yeah, reach out to Corey. You know where to find me. We got some thick, thick patches. We'll put you in. <laughs> <laughs> Just go over there and push that out for us. We'll sit over here. So uh, we're going to talk about Pennsylvania's flintlock season, right? Yep. So it just ended Monday. So started the day after Christmas and went until what was that? January sixteenth, eighteenth, eighteenth was 18th. The last day. Sixteenth must have been the last Saturday. Saturday yeah. Uh, Pennsylvania is the only state that has a flintlock only season. I Are we doing, the only ones now? We're, I was doing some research. West Virginia has what they call a mountaineer heritage season. Um, it's flintlock and caplock, which is a little bit different than flintlock. And then they also have recurves or longbows. So you can't use a compound bow. You have to use recurve longbow, flintlock, or caplock. Okay. Yeah, we just looked it up when we got here, and it's only a four-day season as well. So, and it's they have only had it since like 2018. So it has their whole muzzleloader season is only four days. That or that, that heritage. Oh, the her- okay, all right. Yeah. So we were just talking about you know scheduling the weekend to go hunt that one down in West Virginia. Down in West Virginia. Oh, did you tell your wife that? <laughs> I, just, I just did. Just gave her a wink there. <laughs> just so you know. Was there ever any other states that did it? There's some other states out west I know that have like traditional muzzleloader seasons where they have some restrictions on, you know, you can't use scopes. You have to use like primitive sites. Yeah, the, it's primitive. They call it primitive, because, but you can use cap lock. Cap lock. I think that's the, the main difference. You have to use an between, old school, like actual flint locker. Cap yeah, lock. in Pen- yeah, in Pennsylvania. It's it, Pennsylvania's the only one that has just a flintlock, which is like the most rudimentary yep. kind of muzzleloader. So, so like, so you heard to saying lock, stock, and barrel. Yeah. So that's that comes from muzzleloaders. So you have like three elements to a muzzleloader. You've got the stock, you've got the barrel, and then you've got the lock. So flintlock is using a piece of stone or flint to strike a. It's called a frizzin, and the frizzin. You shave a little bit of hot steel off into some powder, and it ignites, and that's what your ignition you source is. You hope it does. Yeah, yes, that's the but key a, right there. Yeah, but a cap lock, right? That's a, just another style of lock that was invented it, after the flint. Is lock. it the one with the little caps? Little percussion, little cap. percussion yeah. caps. Yeah. yeah. So, and if you go way back, the original before flint locks, it was they used to light a little piece of fuse. Oh yeah, and match they, locks, right? Match lock, exactly. Yeah. Yep, so Pennsylvania is the only one that has the flint lock season. Yeah, it's a flint lock only. And PA, in 1974 was when PA first had it, and I, I don't think many people participated, but it's it's grown quite a bit since then. And yeah, it starts the day after Christmas, and then you get 
almost uh, four weeks to hunt. So it's a it's a pretty good opportunity. Um, you know, it's a lot of guys aren't going out when it's yeah cold and. Yeah, yeah, the deer. They didn't throw a Sunday in, did they? Most not, not for the late season. Most no. most wives don't approve of letting you out of the house after <coughs> you've been through uh, three months of hunting season. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky season, but it's a nice time of year to be out. Uh, I like to I like to go out and scout and do some scouting and walk around a lot. You can see their leaves are off the trees usually, yeah. obviously. So you can see deer trails where deer. I mean, yep. if you have snow, yeah, snow's on the ground. You can see where they're going. Yeah, so that's why I like to hunt it. Um, you see the terrain a lot better. I feel like with you know, yeah, without the leaves being on the trees. Yeah, yeah. I think you had snow this year, didn't you? Not really. Uh, the no. second we had a little bit oh, when we went yeah. out. We, we went in the out. higher parts, the yeah. higher elevations. There was still some snow. Yeah, yeah, we we. The f- First group hunt we did was January second, and we got and some was, snow on the last day. Yeah, and we got snow on the last day, but um, you were the only one that was out. Yeah, I was day. the only one out the last day. Yeah, and that was a Monday, so I was working. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> um. So, I th- you talked a little bit about the process of the ignition. You know, the flint strikes the frizzin, the frizzin yep. sparks. So people, I don't know, like I remember researching this at one point. I'm a, so I didn't really say what my background is, but I'm an engineer. So I'm always asking why or wanting to know how stuff works. and Trying to make things better. Try, drives, Even when they don't drives, need to be better. Drives Jeremy nuts. <laughs> I, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. does not apply to me. So, but, uh, so anyway, I, I'm being curious about what causes, uh, you know, the spark to happen, right? And so actually what happens is... When the the stone or the flint hits the steel, it actually shaves a little bit of of the steel off, and actually, like I think it's iron is uh, I don't know what the word is, but basically like it'll catch fire as soon as it is exposed to the atmosphere. But it has to be like a microscopic small amount of steel. So anyway, it's not the it's not the flint that's causing the spark necessarily. It's the shaving of the steel off that actually causes it to burn and. Hmm lands in a little little uh i guess you call it the pan so it flips the frizzin up and then the sparks land in the pan and you have a little bit of priming powder in there and then that's what ignites and then you, there's a hole drilled in the side of your barrel and they it's called a touch hole touch hole or a vent i think is the other name for it um so and there's a lot into to tuning that whole process so there's Lots of different little tricks and tips that you can do to try to make it go off faster. But the reality is, when you get into this time of year and it's snowing or raining, and you can't predict what's going to. Uh, you know, it's a real challenge. What's going to be happening? I know this year when we hunted at first time, what we had, we we like to do drives, and we had a pretty decent drive going, and I think we had what four misfires, three, three misfires, yeah. three misfires yeah. on the very first drive, wrong. and it was wet that day. Yeah. It was, you can't can't control the weather, and the weather really bit us that day because yeah, we had we couldn't get guns a, to go off to save our lives. Had a deer that, that came flying through. I saw you know ten or twelve run this way, and as I'm watching those, another one forty yards away came right out in front of me, stopped, stood still, gave me the perfect shot, and the gun just wouldn't go off. Yeah, yeah, it was damp that day. Yeah. So, or you'll, or the deer will be running, and you'll think you'll think you have one chance for a shot, and you 
as soon as a gun goes off and you shoot, and then they'll stand then there. Then the best chances are, yeah, right, right after that. While you're reloading. Maybe you need two so. guns. Shoot one in the air. Yeah. Just make them stop. <laughs> and take one of those <laughs> trapper pistols. Can't tell you how often that's happened, though. A deer running up to me, and you think you're going to have better get your shot off before they disappear, and then it's boom, you shoot, and you mess clean, and they just stand there and look at you. Yeah. So there's different types of powders. That it's black powder. Um, so there's a powder that you put down the barrel for your main charge, and it's powder is designated in the in the size of the grains. So I use a 3F powder down my barrel. I use about 80 grains. Use 3F. Yeah, I use 3F. Oh, yeah. How come? I use 2F. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. it's like and it's what my uncle showed me when he was oh, really? teaching me how to load the the rifle. I so. use 2F, yeah. So 2F is coarser than 3F yeah. and 4F I thought, is I was thinking that 3F was used for like 45 calibers or Yeah, I've heard of like used for pistols. Pistols. Yeah. And, yeah. But I think some guys use it for the It's like one of those things too, I think, you know, probably we don't we talk about this is it'd be a good idea to like practice more and experiment yeah, yeah, more and actually see you know so it's like maybe 3f works better than 4f but yeah that, it's just kind of like whatever somebody I, you know, showed you yeah it's what, is what you do and yep i haven't i haven't experimented enough with it to change and i bought a you know a pound of 3f so it takes a while <laughs> it's lasted you for a long time <laughs> eight yep. ten years so um but i did i did read that the smaller grains of powder create more pressure so you got to be careful of overloading it or overpacking it with with this that was talking about like tips i remember reading that one this year when i was like looking up little tips on how to make your flintlock go off faster and they were saying how like with a, a cap lock when the cap goes off it's shooting like a, a stream of fire into the charge like especially like an inline muzzleloader um and so like it's igniting a whole bunch of grains of powder all at once and with a flintlock, it's more like lighting a fuse. So when you ignite the pan, it's like a fuse coming over. And so you actually want to like pack it loose. So what you should do is like when your gun's nice and clean and you load your gun, you should basically mark your ramrod. And then if you, you know, next time you go to load it, you'll be at that same point where, because you might lose the feel of like when that patch just comes in contact with the powder. So. Which brings up another thing was we could talk maybe about the So you don't want to be packing it you down. Don't and I always see down. guys yeah. you know, so just if, hammering you, down on it. What I always one of my friends showed me one time is how you do it is you push it all the way down and then you, you like kinda like throw your ramrod like down. Tap it down. And then like, you like you throw it and you throw it and you throw it until it like bounces back out. And that was always what I would do. But that's actually kinda working against you because then all the all that powder in the base of your barrel is all packed tight, right? So if you're trying to light off a chain of a fuse, so to speak, it's you're working against yourself. It's going to be a slower, slower reaction. I I've never had too much trouble. I shouldn't I'm jinx, jinx myself with my gun going off. I, I think your gun this, does seem to go off pretty this well. This year was the second time in. But eight years of hunting with the flintlock that it hasn't gone off when I've been shooting at a deer. Mm-hmm. Um, it happened 
couple years ago, <clears throat> and uh, I just shoved a little bit more pan powder in through the touch hole, and then another deer came through a half hour later, and I shot it. So, mm-hmm. and no, then, I've always heard too <clears throat> that like in the in the pan. You shouldn't overfill that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know don't don't put it right it. against the. Top yeah. Zone. Don't put tons of it in there's there. There's a and... lot you can experiment with. So there's like different finenesses of the pan powder. So we were talking about using four F versus three F, and so like most guys, what I always hear is like four F is what you use for the pan powder. That's what I use. But then there's this other. There's different companies that make the powder, and there's one of the companies offers this thing, which is basically like it's called Null B, yeah. and it's it's like the finest. It's basically anything that. I don't know. They collect off the equipment that mm-hmm. didn't go through the screens. It's like smaller than the smallest screen size that they have to screen the black powder. But the problem is what I read too before. And again, do you use like that? I do. You- I have used that this year, but and again, like just reading some things and, and I, some of this makes sense is like, so the more, I guess the moisture of the situation, right? So if you're, it's a damp day and you have like a lot of rain and stuff, that would be actually kind of work against you because it's going to, yeah, it's going to collect the moisture easier. Exactly. It collect the moisture easier. So they say like, if it, depending on the conditions, maybe you want to use a a coarser pan powder that doesn't absorb water as easily. So, which makes sense. Yeah. And then there's people like, I know Jason is one of the guys that hunts with us. I noticed this year he had like a leather kind of covering for his plant lock. Yeah. uh, I need cow's knee, I think. Cow's knee. Yeah. I don't think that's what he was calling it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, um, so there's different. I mean, there's that's something I want to get. Or I, did, does he like that? Do you? Use I don't one know. Of those? I don't. I haven't used one and, because I had a but, tough time with that one year, and I learned my lesson the one year. I was kind of keeping it, my gun kind of tucked underneath my arm, you know, the whole day, trying to keep the rain from getting to it, and then it just ended up getting my perspiration. Oh yeah, just, was actually yeah. working against me. You know what I mean? Like I ended up getting damp and and like moisture down in there just from like it being under my arm whole you know for you know carrying it for hours like that then there's a lot too like you know different flints like so some people prefer like the man-made kind of like cut flints (coughs) and there's like those people believe in the you know like english English flints is supposedly the gold standard for flints they're like hand-napped so, and then sure, positioning, that's what you have, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you got like, well, then, then there's uh, like positioning. How much did you pay for those, yeah, Tony? Yeah. <laughs> Two bucks. <laughs> Cheap. No, they, uh, the positioning of the flints too. Like, so you can, you can put the, like, uh, the flat edge up or down. And so like a lot yeah, of this comes Yeah, that's kind of like a Ford Chevy argument I, I saw is like some people prefer it up, some people prefer down. it down. So that, there's a lot. I mean, I think... So I remember uh, when I first moved to New York State, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and we had to take a hunter's ed course. And so, like, you know, once you took the hunter's ed course, you'd get your license. So I moved to New York. They, uh, In order to hunt archery season, you had to have an archery-specific uh, hunter's ed. And I was like, what the heck? This is crap. Like, why do I got to take hunter's ed? I've hunted archery for 10 years, you know, why should I have to do this? And, but I, I did, I'm, it's funny because sometimes those situations, you actually end up learning something, right? So I remember I picked up, it was like the guy that taught that he, uh, his big thing was like, know your equipment, right? Like experiment with it, like make sure it's working properly. I think it's important in archery, but it, it's also. Don't take your turkey gun 
out without pattern. No, your equipment. <laughs> yeah. I think you learned that lesson. That's yeah. uh, stuck with me, you know. It's like, and I don't always follow it, you know, do as I say, not as I do. But definitely, I mean, I think, you know, you can just learn a lot from, you know, Tinkering. don't just listen to what somebody else says. Uh, try it. See if it works for you. That's something I think we need to do as a group. More, you yeah. know, like you, like we were saying, maybe do a range day this year. Yep. And yeah, get together because I don't to shoot figure my out when those nearly shoots enough. are. Yeah, those uh, club shoots are, so we can go to those. How long do powders last? I've had mine for eight or ten years, and it still goes off. So Jeremy was talking about he's. Yeah, got stuff that's I have, like twenty I mean, years old. Oh yeah, the the original powder that I bought. I don't hunt muzzleloader that much, really. Yeah, you know, so I'm doing, you know, if I get a couple shots a year and a couple here at the range, you know what I mean? Like I'm not shooting it tons, so I have powder yeah. that's. Pretty, I don't think any of us old. really shoot muzzleloaders for a hobby. Like we're doing, no. it, like we shoot it to be able to experience this late season, yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah, that, that could be main. part of our downfall, right? Because yeah. like we don't, you know shoot them as much as we should it's I've kind of a once a year more deer than i've killed with yeah. The yeah so what are some of the things you've learned like i think my big thing on that is uh like having a rest i remember oh like, yeah definitely you definitely have yeah. to have a solid rest you I can't shoot a flintlock off carrying hand. a shooting stick yeah i like I've, to carry a shooting i've missed stick with me. way more deer with muzzleloaders than i care to admit and i think uh the one year i missed two bucks <clears> in the same season and i finally went to the range and i I got like stole some of the kids' art paper and I made myself like a cartoon of a deer and I put it up at like 35 yards and I'm like, all right, I'm like, how could I, how could I miss this? You know, like, and I remember like completely missing this like life size deer target at 35 yards offhand. And it's like, okay, I can't, I just can't, I just can't do it. Like, no matter how much I say to myself, I'm not going to flinch or don't flinch. It's like, yeah, I think flinching with a muzzleloader is. I yeah, mean, that's that's it's, the one thing. Yeah. That's where practice is. So gonna... I think having a rest is is really huge. Yeah, but because uh, it's like the second year I was flintlock hunting, I took it out in the early season because we had the inline season. But I took it the flintlock, and I was hunting my archery stands like you would. So I was hunting back back behind the house here, and this this little doe walks up ten yards away, and I'm like oh yeah, and like I offhand shoot and then you know of course there's a little bit of delay and i put my gun down (laughs) shoots right underneath it and just trots away and i was so upset with myself i just went home i remember that's it yeah Yeah. we're done i remember walking into this real thick spot it was like kind of a pasture overgrown old pasture and i'm like saw these saw these deer down below me and i'm kind of like stalking up stalking up and all of a sudden they like one of them gets up and starts running i start seeing deer run like all over the place and there's a real steep drop off behind it and so like i sprinted as fast as i could to that drop off to like look over the bank to see if i could maybe get a shot as they're running away and i looked down and they were long gone well i turn around and like one of these deer was evidently like sleeping pretty hard or something and it gets up to like what the heck's going on over here comes like walking in and it stops at like less than 20 yards looking right at me and i freaking shoot and smoke goes in the air and i'm i mean complete clean missed it like how in the world could you miss a deer at 20 yards right? that's what's funny I mean, about that season though. it is though it's and you get those opportunities it, you just got to be out there to to get them so i mean i and i watch a lot of like hunting public and i see a lot of these things happen to those guys and i'm just like 
how in the world do these guys get these opportunities? But I think a lot of it is is just they're out there. They're out there a lot, right? So it's that's I think that's what they do. It's just another uh, this late season the PA has. It just gives you more opportunities to get out there. And if you're out there, the stuff might happen. Yeah, you know? eventually so something's going to happen. Just another another opportunity to get out. So we talked about the powders. Um, so I think it's been relatively recently that PA started allowing other things than the round ball, right? Yeah, I mean, I want to say it might have been maybe, I don't know, it seems like time flies, but maybe five to ten years ago they started to allow something. It used to be round ball only. yeah. And so a lot of the guns that are out there, at least in our area, are older guns that have a real slow twist rate, which is what you want for, for round balls. Twist, so, twist rate meaning the, the twist of the rifling, rifling the barrel. inside the barrel, yeah. And so if you have a slow twist rate gun, you, you're going to get best accuracy with a, with a round ball, a patched round ball. So, but if, uh, a patch if got, being a piece of lubricated pillow ticking. Yep. And they make different thicknesses. This is get into yeah. like the, the yeah, nerdy um, experimentation stuff. You can they make different thicknesses of them. Mine's 10... Ten thousand thick pillow ticking and a four ninety ball, I think is what I'm shooting. What are you shooting? Yeah, but then you shoot. Yeah, sabots, I've right? got sabots. I think it's so. You got a more modern gun though, right? Like it's yeah. a stainless Mine's steel. A, like, yeah, a Firestorm Thompson Firestorm. So um, some of the newer design ones, are, they got a faster twist rate, and you can shoot sabots, which are going to. I don't even know what would it was it one in forty eight maybe. One in forty-eight or, was like the traditional hawk and right, yeah. okay. twist rate, but I think. But then, I think because like my uncle let me use his firestorm, and I think that's what he said that was. Yeah, because I was shooting patch round and forty out of that. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think, I've one, always I think shot one in forty-eight least, might be like in between. Yeah, like where you can kind of do you both. Kind of shoot either. Well, then what's but, the other one? One in sixty. One in seventy-two. I don't know. Okay. I've heard one before. There's sixty-four. One in twenty-eight is a faster one. Yeah. Oh, okay. I I can't I think of say the smaller number. Yeah, I'm trying to think of all the different numbers that they're because with the faster rate a round ball is not as consistent because it, it spins it too fast right so it loses a lot of consistency is yeah exactly the, yeah yeah if you, yep penny wants to be the penny, penny, penny wants to be on the podcast yeah. <laughs> she just wants to play no but i've been shooting these sabots and they shoot pretty good out of my gun and I don't know. I like them. They have a kind of a hollow point, and they expand pretty well. Any deer I've ever shot, it's pretty done pretty. So dumb question. There's a lot you, of damage. You to uh, put it in with this plastic. Yeah, the plastic is yeah. called the sabot. See, I mean that's the downside. I would say to shooting round balls is, I mean, yeah, it just punches a hole. It doesn't. Right. Like, I mean, uh, your blood trail isn't going to be. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. yeah, when you shoot one with uh, with a bullet like a that, forty five or fifty. No, it's a, a fifty cal. That's what I shoot in the inline. Mm-hmm. Yep. and then there's like maxi balls <clears throat> yeah. it's like you don't have a sabot or a patch no i mean the the bullets cast they're with like a ring on it that's a little bit that's what pierce was trying to yeah something the like day, a maxi right? ball yeah. yep and then they, they there's one called like a pa conical i saw hornaday makes a thing called a pa conical sure which, those look like. which is it's like a half between a ball and a sabot it's uh it's got some like knurling on the outside of it that basically. Okay. So you guys shoot just a round ball. 
We yep. shoot round ball. Yeah. I, sh- I shoot patched round ball. Yeah. yeah. Straight. It just looks like a marble. If you're uh, researching muzzleloaders on the internet, you'll see guys talk about PRB. Not, not P- PBR. Not, not PBR, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> patched round ball. So. I think it's another example, though, of like. But, yeah, projectile is another thing. It's like, again, you can read a bunch of stuff and see what, you know, what we're saying. I think this is uh, generally good advice. So you have a faster twist rate. You can probably want to shoot a conical. If you have a slower twist rate, you want to shoot a round ball. But, again, I think uh, experiment. Yeah. See what works. Different different charges of powder and different projectiles and see what groups get out of your gun. How many grains of powder do you shoot? 80. 80. What do you shoot? I shoot 90, 95. 95. I shoot a 54, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, I 54. shoot 50s. I forgot you had yeah, so. 50, yeah. yeah. I shoot 90. Seems to work pretty good. Um, so in PA, it has to be open sights. It can't be a scope, which would look really funny on a flintlock. Yeah, it really scope. would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it used to be... It used to be that you couldn't shoot a peep sight, so Which you you, could, you had yeah. they yep. changed that they changed that like in that same time frame when they switched over to say you could you know use conical bullets and different projectiles they started allowing you to use the peep sights yeah um, which I'm a big fan do of. you like the peep sight I love I love it. yeah I, mean, I was looking through it I I'm yeah I'm debate I'm I'm thinking I should switch over make why the switch for me you, it, you can like you know how and I, I was when Lindsay was shooting my gun. I was like, bury, bury that front sight, and she wasn't quite sure. But like, you have a lot of like wiggle room, you know. You either put it when you have the V. It's too bad we're your, not on video right yeah, now. Yeah, when you have the V of the. Or <laughs> he's got his fingers up here showing us the V of the sights. But no, I mean, there's, there's, yeah, yeah. you can. Uh, I mean, depending, and and if it's dark out, right? Like, I mean, I've the first deer I ever killed with a muzzleloader. I remember it being like pretty dusky right and you know i had the old traditional sights you know iron sights and it was i was like it was snowy so i had a snowy background and i was i'd pull the sight over against the snow and then i'd pull it back to the deer and then i'd pull it back to the snow so i'm like trying to get a sight picture see, of this mine deer. Is fiber optic yeah, sights fiber optic. See, so that helps yeah. with that yeah. that aspect of yeah. it but so it's legal fiber optics legal Fiber optics. Yeah. Cool. What I like about it, I like the. I'm an archery hunter, and for me, you know, it's like when I'm shooting through a peep sight, I've got a fiber optic front sight, and then the peep in the back, and it's just, it's like I'm shooting my bow. Yeah. You know, and for it me, it's moves that what's it called parallax or whatever yeah. you want to call it. And I mean, it's just you put the. I mean, your your brain automatically puts that fiber optic pin in the middle of the the peep, and now, just my preference. In, in those low light conditions, do you yeah. have an issue seeing, seeing through, through that? the peep? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. Not with the fiber optic anyway, but. I don't know. So the lot we t- talking about how we were out on the last day, and uh, so I was actually taking my son out, and uh, he got an opportunity and, and shot, and actually he wounded one that we weren't able to recover, which was a big bummer. But that would be the I would say like that would be a disadvantage to the peep is so we were tracking this deer, and it was through some thick, awful stuff and crawling underneath things and. You know, there was this, it snowed pretty hard that day. There's a lot of snow in the trees, and anytime we'd knock snow off the trees and stuff, it was getting caught in that peep constantly, uh, and I was blowing it out. it out. 
versus okay, I think if you I had never thought of that. if you had a traditional sights, iron sights, you probably wouldn't have had that problem. So I guess that's maybe a On disadvantage downside, yeah. downside to the peep sight. Hmm. So when we're hunting, we always have a possibles bag. I know, Tony, you have the same type. It's an Allen Company little, yeah, little two side. zipper goes on your belt. But yeah, so what do you, what do you keep in your possibles? I have I have like three or four. Let's see. Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy brought, brought his. his. Yeah. Let's open her up. This is good because this will talk about some of the things you need, you know, some of the tools we haven't right. talked about yet. Uh, where do you want to start? The ball a, starter. A ball starter? The ball starter, yeah. Yeah. So there's different kinds of ball starters. There's ones that got a big old ball on it yeah and, i know, got the big old ball here i usually just put the bullet up in the top and just there's kinda, a short side little and then nipple here on the side just kind of yep. push that in and, and there's a long side yeah. yeah so like i use there's another another type jeremy's got both uh it's a t a t handle ball starter yeah that's in here too somewhere yep that right there i usually just handle. i i don't know why i just that's one i've always I just used. threads t. into my ramrod yeah that's for my breech plug. So my gun has a breech plug. I yeah, can disassemble the whole gun. So there's there's another thing we haven't talked about yet. So the more modern flint locks, which is kind of an oxymoron when you think about it. Yeah. Um, they have like your Firestorm. I know a traditions PA pellet because that's what I bought my dad. They have a removable breech plug, so it's you can just take your ramrod, undo the breech plug, take your ramrod, and shove out your load so you don't have to shoot it or. It's a lot yeah. easier to clean. If something goes wrong, yeah. I can just take the gun apart. Right. I can take that breech plug out. I can just remove everything and start over if I need to. Where I have a Lyman Deerstalker and you have a Thompson Center. I got a Thompson Center Renegade. And those do not have removable breech plugs. So if I forget to put powder in the barrel before I put my You've never round done on, that, have you? <laughs> I have. <laughs> um you have to do some finagling to get that out. I've heard people use compressed air to get them out. Um, there are ball pullers where you thread on this, like it's a, essentially a screw. Yeah, it just screws yep. right into your I round just, ball. Yeah. I just used that. So that situation the other night where my son hit this deer and we tracked it for two miles before it went off onto some property we didn't have access to and it didn't show any signs of slowing down and we had... So anyway, yeah, dragging that gun through the snow for two miles, uh, you know, it was not going to go off. I mean, I didn't even try. That so I just went right to the to the ball puller. So it's uh, you know real sharp. And you just you can kind of feel it, you know, with a ramrod. You just set it down in there and screw it in, and then just pull it out and work good. It was no problem. So. The, the one time that I put the ball in before powder, I was at one of those muzzleloader shoots with um it would be my father-in-law's cousin he's a he was a national champ for shooting a flintlock he builds his own flintlocks and so that would be that's like the perfect guy to have with you when you make a stupid mistake like that <laughs> so what he showed me is he, he just took a bunch of 4f pan powder and just kept shoving through the touch hole show and you know he did that for like five ten minutes and finally put it off, and it was like, boop, and it just it just came out the end. <laughs> just barely rolled out. Yeah, just barely rolled out, but it worked. So That's the ball puller right there, Tyler. Actually, yeah. mine might be a little bit broken. <laughs> There's something on the end there. It doesn't look very sharp anymore. No, I think it's pulled a couple, wanna, pulled a couple you, balls so there. Yeah, I, mean, I think, you know, they talk about that. It's a little dull on that. Yeah, head. yeah, I think I've used it's, that a few It's like a, a, a wood screw times. on the end. Might be time for a new ball puller there. 
You don't even need one. You have the breech plug. I got a little like nipple or uh, what do you call cleaner it? Cleaner outer pick, yeah. you know, pick, yeah. for the touch hole. Yeah, yeah, for the touch hole, just to clean it out in case it gets clogged up. Patch puller. I don't shoot patches, yeah, but when don't. I do, I have one. Um, jag. Jag. Yeah. I don't know. So, why so like, if you're at the range, like, typically what I would do between every shot, I'm going to run a, a wet patch just to clean the clean it out, out, you know. But, like, if I'm hunting, move. usually I'm, I'm not going to do that unless... For some reason, I mean, I shot, if you had, time. If I had to shoot more than once, and if you and you're having a hard time getting the gun to reload, then you know, yeah, you might want to th- thread on your your cleaning jag and run a mm-hmm. run a patch, a wet patch down. Which spit is actually a pretty good uh, cleaner, believe it or not, from experience. Yeah, it's uh, that's kind of the old... little picks there, just trying to keep things clean. Powder measure. One thing you don't have in there, I noticed. Uh, yeah, what don't I have? Tell me. Uh, Q-tips with uh, some alcohol on there. I just started yeah. when when we were out that first day, and you cleaned my gun after I misfired. I saw that you had yeah. the alcohol. It's a good so idea. Q-tips. Yeah, it worked, they so, work good. Just dry it out real quick. Then. Yep, the alcohol evaporates pretty good, even when it's yeah. moist out there. And you can. What do you clean with it? Like, what do you use? Well, like the the pan. Yeah. So you wipe the pan out. Like if you're like when yeah. it gets all caked, when it in gets there. all wet, yeah. especially the, the issue. Usually, your gun will do pretty good. Have, but if you have a like a misfire where either so there's two different types of mis, misfires you can have a misfire where you don't the pan powder doesn't ignite and then you can have a misfire where the pan powder goes off but, but the it doesn't light the main off. charge off and so if your pan powder goes off whether or not your gun goes off or not if you need to shoot again that's when things can become more difficult because that it leaves like a residue in there that'll and if it's wet wet out that residue is going to get Damp and so you have an, if you have that Q-tip with some alcohol on it and wipe all that crap out of there, it works pretty good to get things dry again. So powder measure, powder measure there. Yep. I just keep it like preset there, so I don't have to you know remember you know how many grains was it again. Yep. It's already ready to go. Um, powder, extra powder. Yeah, it's good. I think Corey was talking about it before we uh, started recording. He had an incident where his so. I always carry my, uh, there's a little little tool, I don't know what you call it, a, a charging tool or a pan primer. Pan yeah, primer. I call it a touch yeah. It's a brass, it's, yeah. a, it's a brass. Yeah, uh, and I'll, I'll link um, pictures and stuff in the show notes of what yeah. all these little tools are. But it's this little, uh, it's a little tool for priming your pan. Yeah, and basically it has that 4F powder a, in it. Yep, and it's got it's a spring-loaded plunger on it. It's kind of depressed that right in the, in the pan, and it just puts that priming. Yep. Priming powder in there. I wear mine on on a necklace, so it's always right yeah, there. Always yeah, right that's there. one but thing that I really that. liked this year. I saw you doing that, and I was like, because I always have to dig for mine, and yep. I'd never know what pocket it's in. But if it was right around your neck, you'd always have easy access to it. I'm, I'm, you picked it up for me. I picked it up from some guys I used to, to hunt with back in college. We'd do some driving similar to what we do now, and uh, all those guys did that. And I picked that up, and it's definitely good good way to have it always ready so and that's a good tip like when you're out hunting right and so constantly checking that flipping that frizzing up and just checking to make sure your powder's dry and if it's getting wet if it's snowy out wipe it out put put fresh pan powder in there but like Corey was saying he uh he had a situation where his little plunger on his pan primer got stuck in the up position and drained drained out yeah, and i've had it yeah everything yeah, uh, yeah. i I've think had you the had same that thing happen, happen. Yeah. yep so i always carry like an extra little tuba 
pan powder that yeah, I, can I just I refill. put extra 4F. I have an old prescription pill bottle. Yep. I just put, fill that up with extra 4F and put that in my possibles bag. Another thing that works good is like little screw top plastic test tubes. You can get them on Amazon for 50 of them for 10 bucks or something. Works good for pre-measuring your charges too. If you're you going to the range. Apple, or, Alibaba. Alibaba. <laughs> Shipment of them. Yeah. Coming to Tony's door. And then uh, you have oh, yeah. speed loaders. Yeah, I got speed, speed loaders. loaders in those here. are handy. Those they are, are handy. Yep. I, so, I, I you know recommend those the hunting public fun. guys were talking about how they put uh, primers. I think it was those guys, or maybe it was somebody else. I can't remember, but I saw like they when they're using like flintlock season, they like to have a primer in each pocket. So no matter you know if you shoot and you need to reload and you're trying to find a primer real quick, you might have a primer in each pocket. You know, it might be a good oh, idea. It was the mountain deer guys in Maine. Mountain deer guys, it was, yeah. I like that idea, you know, and I'm, I was thinking about, like, quick loads, right? I mean, I guess if you always are reaching for your possibles pouch, like, but, yeah, I mean, have it accessible. Yeah, yeah. so I'll, like, just put one of these, like, right in my pocket, yeah. like, in my hunting pocket, you know, and that way, if I need a quick shot, it's got everything already pre-measured in it. Yep. My, my sabbated bullets in there, I can open one end, dump my charge in, and then I can, you know, soap in the other end and shove my ramrod right down through there and... And I can load pretty quick. Speed loaders are basically just a tube with two caps on each end. Yeah, it's got two caps on each end. Like or I said, a cap on each end. A cap on yeah, yeah, a cap on each end, and then it's got the you know I've already the night before measured everything out, and it's all ready to go. Yeah. So right. one side you put the powder, and the other side you put either your patch round ball or your sabot. And so when you need to load real quick after shooting, open the one cap, dump your powder in, open the other cap. And line it up with your barrel and shove it through with your starter, and then take your ramrod out, shove it down. Yeah, I think we're ready to go. I think our forefathers would be laughing at us right now, probably a little bit. Probably. <laughs> maybe they'd be proud of us though, maybe for carrying, yeah, carrying on, on right? the tradition. Maybe boar butter. You got to have some boar butter just for lubing things up. I think that's about yeah, it. So yeah, this stuff uh, Jeremy's talking about. It's Thompson Center makes it, but it's a. Uh, it's like a waxy yellow paste that lubricates yeah. your patch and helps it slide down the barrel easily. So definitely important to have. I recent or last year I recorded an Adventures for Food podcast about my time hunting with my flintlock and forgetting to put the flint in it in the hammer. So I carry extra flints in my possible bag for, I, I, for that I've reason. done that, yep. I carry an extra flints and then... So I need to be writing this stuff down here. The, the uh, extra flints, what was the other thing? Alcohol, uh, Q-tips soaked yep. in alcohol. Right. Then, uh, See, I like, learned something today. Uh, you got to have a way to... You got to either have a screwdriver, you know, depending on what how you're... So, like, you know, to hold the flint in, you either need a screwdriver or, like... So my, I think that's why I have this Allen key. I was wondering why I have this Allen key. Yeah, Allen key. But because I think to get that screw. So for mine, mine has a hole. Has just a hole, and I can just use this Allen key. Yeah, mine has a hole too, and I got like a little key that fits in the hole, and so some sort of a tool to tighten it up. So a little bit of extra leather to grip the flint. Yeah, not a bad idea. Just um, leather work glove. I just cut a square off of that. Yeah, I think mine was from an old baseball glove. Like back in the day that I was going to pitch, I just cut a little chunk out of it and I'm still using it. 
Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So we were just talking about the possibles by unloading. Like we were talking about earlier, you can just, for the more modern ones, you can take out the breech plug and just, but... I just shoot it, or like you had to do, you had yeah. to use a ball puller. Cleaning, I think cleaning is an area where there's a little bit of contention on how not. I wouldn't say contention, but no, there's different the, methods. Yeah, really. yeah, different methods. Debate on what what's yeah. best. I just use. I take off my barrel, and I put it touch hole into a bucket of hot soapy water. So I use Dawn dish soap, not hot, warm. Yeah, I was always. I don't know, like. I can remember hearing like hot water. So I thought hotter was better and I would used to boil it. And then I would, you know, that barrel would be smoking hot, which called yourself. Yeah. I mean, and I thought, okay, this is good. Cause then it like dries really good. Right. Yeah. But, it dries. But, the, but the problem is, is that they say that like when you get it really hot like that and then you expose the water, you get like flash rust, rust on it. So you don't want, you don't want it to be scalding hot, but you do want it to be hot enough I, I just go for the hottest that it yeah, comes out of the tap. Yeah. tap. And that way, you know, it's going to dry good, but it's not going to flash rust. So, so I stick touch hole in yeah. into the bucket. I take the uh, cotton tip, or is that what that is, cotton or whatever, the, the soft soft brush that goes on the end of the ram that you can screw in. Oh, I don't have one. I just use a cleaning patch. I use a jag. A jag I, with a patch Yeah, on. but mine fits tight. Into the barrel, so I go up and down, and it creates that hydraulic effect. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a jag. Well, no, it's it's a, the soft one. It's like I don't have I don't, I don't have a soft one. one. I have a brass. I need to get a soft a brass here. jag. You have to yeah. show that. To yeah, me. I'll, I'll have to show you. Okay. Yeah, I just use my brass jag and like one. a cleaning patch yeah. and just <laughs> yeah, you do that. Suction. Yeah, you, you can hear sucks it. the yeah. yeah, it'll suck yeah. the and then, water from the bucket. So you put your yeah. We didn't really go through. There's there's a key, so you have to take the ramrod out first, and then there's a key that. Wedges in. I, call, I think they call it a wedge, wedge pin. Wedge yeah. pin. Yeah. That, that holds your barrel. Don't lose that. Don't lose that. Don't lose your wedge pin. Don't lose your wedge pin. You're gone. Yeah. Can you lose your wedge pin? I lost my wedge <laughs> pin. Yeah. Fortunately, my buddy, he has the same muzzle loader. He made me a wedge pin uh, for my muzzle loader. Then turned around and lost his wedge pin in the process. So he had to make another one for, for, his. for his gun. Yeah. So it's kind of an important part. No. Don't lose that part. But after you take your wedge pin out, you can it'll roll the the barrel rolls up out of it and you can basically put up, you know, you get a hot bucket of hot water. Or I used to use Dawn soap too. And then I read that's not necessary and you're supposed to just use, I don't know, again, just like clean water. do whatever, but just uh, get it clean. Get Make it clean. sure you do get it clean. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. I mean, it's just going to rust to no end yeah. if you yeah. leave anything yep. in there. So I, I go through, I do the, with the Dawn dish soap and water, a while and, and reverse the patch. I usually, you guys, you know, I put it down one way and then I flip the patch around and what do you guys do it a use for like or? around your lock? Because I always get like some rust that like gets yeah. like around my. Lock I, I get a the, I get a toothbrush. The, the I use bristle, a, the like a twenty, the the wire brush that goes down a twenty-two barrel. I take that and I kind of 
scour yeah. around on the but pan. Yeah, like you don't around. use any kind of like oil or anything. No, I use it. There, do I you? use a toothbrush, and then I, uh, you know, what I, I bought this new lock this year. To I've told you guys about retrofitting. I've had a Thompson Center. I put a different lock on it, and uh, the instructions on that recommended you use car wax, which actually isn't a bad idea. I think because they say like oil with muzzle odors, like when you. Uh, you know, like the flash of the pan going off and stuff. If you have oil on there, that can actually create more fouling versus like a wax product doesn't create as much. Yeah. So you can use uh you can use oil, but they say that like certain types of oil will actually create more fouling. So a lot of times that's like the Thompson setter bore butter is, is like a natural product. It's not petroleum based. So they say it creates less fouling. Um, so you can run a big glob of that down after you get done cleaning your barrel, or you could probably use some a little bit of that on there and kind of clean your okay. clean your lock and put a little bit of that on there after you clean it. I use a toothbrush, hot water, get it all clean, and then put a little bit of wax on there. Good to know. Is it is it uh, is it because of the powder? The powder like salt. It's like you can get corrosive, like yep, smokeless powder. Exactly. Yep. But I think so. Like muzzleloaders aren't designed for smokeless powder, yeah, so you got to use some sort of black powder. powder. But then there's different types of black. There's regular old fashioned black powder, old which is stuff. I think the easiest to ignite. And then there's like newer the types py- of pyrodex. pyrodex and things. But I think even pyrodex is like more corrosive than oh yeah than black powder is. is by I use the the pellets in my inline, but I use them yeah. loose. In the I, I did see something though. I think. There is a company that makes smokeless powder muzzle loaders, though. I thought they do. You're right. There is like there is, but I don't know. I don't, there's like they, any they might not be legal. In, yeah. yeah, I don't know. No, I'm sure they're legal, but for the, for the inline, inline season, season. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we talked about what you do if you forget to put the powder in before you put the, the ball. We talked about wet powder. Um, we talked about having to shoot. Uh, with a stick, with a shooting stick, you don't want to shoot offhand. Yeah, I think, but I mean, and I think people. Well, but I think there's idea. people. I think there's people like, that are very accurate yeah. offhand. You know what I mean? But yeah, I think that's, for us that aren't shooting for, a lot, correct. That's that's the thing is we're a bunch of hacks that go out once a year to, yeah. to hunt. So yeah. we go out a couple times. We're not. A season uh, and, you know, we're mostly there to have fun, and we're not right. taking it too 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 serious you know so i mean i enjoy shooting muzzleloader and it's it's fun but i mean for me it's it's a way to get get out in this late season right so it's like if i wasn't for that late season i probably wouldn't shoot a muzzleloader very much you know not that i shoot much patriot yeah (laughs) small miss small small. (laughs) so you have accuracy yeah right i can't imagine that shooting a ball through a rifle is really gonna actually help anything does it actually help because I thought like a ball was like for a smooth bore, like yeah, no, muskets. They, uh, so like the the slow twist rates are it does help. yeah, they're like they're actually supposed to be really accurate. They're very accurate, yeah. Like they talk about like clover leaf for you know the grouping. You know, you put three or four balls touching each other, it looks like a clover leaf. I mean, you know, I can't do that. I can't do that. Either, <laughs> no, but I, if I yeah. I shot three times before the season started to make sure nothing got bumped. And I fit three shots on a paper plate at 50 yards, and I was more than happy with that. Well, the, back in the day, right, the, the Revolutionary War, 
It's one of the reasons why we won, because we had rifles, and the British had smoothbore muskets. But were they shooting balls back then, or were they shooting... I don't know. I like don't know. The Good question. Sabbat style. I don't know. I mean, I think... I don't know. I think there's ac- maybe some improved accuracy potential there. If you can, if you have a fast twist rate and you can shoot a conical bullet, it's maybe more accuracy potential. I don't know. I don't know either. You're I think it, the wrong people. I think accuracy, I think for me, uh, at least, I think it's, it's more about the deadliness, right? Like a conical is going to be, a, you know, you can shoot a heavier bullet, you know, with a with a round ball, you're only going to have so much mass, right? So if you're shooting a 50 caliber, I don't know what's a 50 caliber round ball weigh. I don't know. I don't know. Two, probably uh, a lot. No, I don't think it's that much. No, I don't think so. In fact, I think I come to shoot a sabot. I left it in my car. I could probably tell I, you. I have my a box of them downstairs. I thought it was like 240. No, the, these those so those sabeted bullets, those are 240. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, of. I was thinking 175. Five, I thought it was in the 200 range. Really? I, just, I could have swore it was in the 200 range. Yeah, Tony will tell us. He's got 175 grains. Look at that. And a 50 caliber. 175. Ball. So, shooting a conical, you can, you know, like his are 240, right? Yeah. You're going to yeah. get more, more mass. But don't and you, you also you, get more, like, you know, I mean, like he's talking about their hollow points to get. I'm probably getting a lot more energy expansion out of 240 yeah. grains. I'm sure, I'm sure you are. Well, what's yeah. the velocity? Like, what are you shooting? So, I want to say, like, feet per I'd about ready to say, like, anywhere 1,500 okay, so to 2,000 feet per second, something like that would be uh, top end would be 2,000 feet per yeah, second. I don't maybe. think mine's going that fast. That's not, that's not horrible. No. I think I'm bad. getting, like, 1,600 feet per second and, like, 1,400 so foot pounds. I guess how, how far would you guys feel comfortable shooting at a so i think the gun will kill farther than i'm going to be able to hit them yeah. well, i'm yeah. not expecting a <laughs> lot of my muzzle like how far are you coming yeah. i don't expect much out of my muzzle loader like, maybe maybe like for me like i don't know 60 yards 60 75 yards i was about to say 60 that, yeah that one deer that i killed that first year we did that drive together it was um, like 150 yards it was at least at least it was probably farther than i sh- than i realized it was probably what 80 90 yards you think it was that far? I don't. I don't really remember, remember, but I trust you. Yeah, but it wasn't yeah. a great shot. No, I mean it was. It, I got the, the deer, job done, yeah, but it wasn't. Say you got the deer at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, our no, range, that's the best the range that we go to yeah. Pine Grove. Like, I think they have a what a thirty-five. Yeah, it's a thirty-five. <laughs> that's usually yeah. where I shoot my muzzleloader at. They they had one of the pistol targets out there, yeah. so I. Move that Move back that to, 50. Out to fifty. Yeah. yeah, that's probably not a bad in the idea. Swamp? But yeah, yeah, it was like in the middle of the stream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't expect a whole lot out of my muzzleloader. You know, I'm, and that's probably I should probably expect more. But like I said, for as many, so, as much as I use it, as many times as I go out, fifty yards, so I'm happy. That's something we haven't talked about yet. That for me is like, why do you muzzleloader hunt? Like. What what's the reason we talk about? Maybe I guess because it's another opportunity to get out there. Yeah, that's that's the main mine's, reason for me. Mine's a camaraderie. Like I love to hunt with a group of people, yeah. and I can't do that really in archery season. Archery yeah. is yeah. I'm sitting in so a tree stand by yeah. myself. Yeah, and rifle hunting. I feel like we all have different we all have different traditions, so we never yeah. kind of like get to come together during that season. You know what I mean? Like you hunt with your dad down on your lease, and I feel like everybody too. I don't know. Like, maybe I'm misreading it a little bit, but it's like, I think in archery season and rifle season, it's, it's, it's your opportunity to kill a 
bigger deer, right? So yeah. it's like for me anyway, like that's I'm that's I don't your know, goal. I feel like my best chance of killing a bigger buck is to be solo and the places that I've put yeah. a lot of time and effort into scouting and researching and trying to be strategic about. And it's like when it gets to the late season, if I haven't already got a buck, my chances of getting a, a nice buck or got Really much slower, slim, yeah. right? You know, so it's like I'm. Um, Usually, we're trying to get. It's a different the goal. It's a, it's, a, it's a different the freezer. Yeah, it's maybe. a different objective. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For me, yeah, it is yeah. literally the camaraderie. I like yeah. the aspect of everybody working and, towards a goal and like trying to you yeah. know figure out a drive and get yeah. get people deer. You know what I mean? And I like. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I love the I love the the camaraderie aspect of it as well. Yeah, yeah it makes it. And you get to hunt it's as a, a big fun. group. It's right after, then, right around Christmas. I feel like you're people guaranteed are somebody's work, gonna you know? miss, and then you can make fun of them. Yeah. So it's a- yeah. <laughs> and there's no better. You guys make like, fun of me quite a bit. Like, and a lot of times, like on these drives, like I'm not even sitting. Like I'm the one that's pushing, yep. and I love hearing the guns go off. Like to me, no, that's, that's like, awesome. Yeah. That's and there's the just I talk about it. There's like it's funny, but there's like it's just a different sound. Oh when yeah, a muzzle I love the goes off. I love the sound. Yeah, it's like a really it's a deep. It's awesome. Heck, this year we had guns going off and they weren't even from our group, and I was excited. Like, you know, yeah, and I'm like, yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, that was some other guy shooting. I'm like, oh, all right. Whatever. Somebody got something. They probably figure out that you guys go to the same spot. Like, there's yeah. always got dudes over here and they're always driving to you. Yeah, let's get, let's let's get in there. on that. Yeah. I just love, too, like, I love seeing the. The, like the times when we have snow, like I love seeing a deer against snow. You know, I don't know what it is, but it's like it, it just I don't like, have that anymore. In no, I mean it. They stick out like a sore thumb. Oh yeah. I mean it's. You guys ever read Hatchet? Yeah. Long, Gary long, Gary long Paulson book. So yeah, then, ago, so there's yeah. a uh, he's got a there's like the what happened if Hatchet never got picked up if like Brian Robeson didn't get picked up in the. And he didn't like make it out, and winter would have happened. And uh, so, like Gary Paulson, he's all about the like coming of age kind of books, and um, you know, he's kind of like writes about traditional like old school times and stuff. And I remember in that book, he was talking about how uh, you know when winter came and the snow came on, it was like huge advantage for the hunter. And you know, it's like I can imagine like our the Native Americans and stuff. I mean, back then, like. You, know, you get snow on the ground it's like it's a huge advantage you can see where the things are moving you can they stick out track them follow tracks yep. yeah i like being out there by myself too like as much as i like the camaraderie of it i do if i have an opportunity where you know like the weekends that we're not going to hunt together or whatever i it's you can pretty much you know like rifle season Anywhere you go, almost there's good chance there's going to be somebody else out there, right? Unless you own a bunch of land and you're going to post it, which none of us have that situation. So you're going to almost guarantee that there's going to be somebody out there with you. You're going to hear people shooting. You're going to. It's like so quiet in the late season. You know, I mean, oh yeah, it's the so the snow does that too. It muffles everything. You can be quiet. quiet. You can be sneaky. It feels like the deer kind of settle back down a little bit. I mean. They are definitely on edge. If you spook them, they're gonna they're gonna like yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I mean, it's it's a it's definitely awesome being out there in the the late season. Something about it, and you can kind of like I don't know, just the fact that you're using a muzzleloader and you got all this like stuff with you. It's kind of like you're all kitted out, and I don't know. 
I, it makes me feel like Jeremiah Johnson. Yeah. I say that yeah. all the time, yeah. but... No, it is. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with you. Yeah, yeah, it's like you're going back in time, and it's like mountain man. I, it's something about like when you bring a rifle, it's like there's a certainty about it, right? Like you know that gun's going to go off, and you know it's going to hit where you're going to, you know. I mean, it's the element of I don't know having to bring extra stuff in it. I don't know. I, I love the it. Challenge. The it's re- definitely reward a challenge. when you kill a deer with a muzzleloader, like that feeling, and it's like it's awesome. I mean, it's better than the biggest deer i've ever killed right it's that i can think back to shooting you know you shoot a doe and it's it's a trophy i mean any deer with a muzzleloader i think with especially with a flintlock i mean yeah. we're talking about flintlocks i mean it's uh i think like some of the 209 you know primary guns with you you have a single shot but you've got a scope and you've got instant ignition i mean it's uh yeah it's definitely different although my a couple years ago my inline didn't go off oh really when i was shooting at a doe yeah that was that was a little frustrating. Yep, but there's just a, another level of challenge there. And so, okay, so this is a wild fishing game podcast. So we do have to talk. Or I do want to talk about some some recipes and or eating wild game. So I'll just ask what your favorite is or what your family's favorite is, and we don't have to get into specifics, but. I want to talk about it. So, Tony, what what is... I like chicken fried steak. Chicken fried steak? Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot of people would use, like, a hindquarter, you know, like a, a round or a top round or a bottom. I use, like, back trap and cut them kind of fat and then pound them out and do, a, like, dredge it in flour and then egg and then flour again. And you get, like, pan fry it in cast iron and make the gravy out of the drippings and corn and mashed potatoes. It's like, it's awesome. Love that. That merganser that I got yeah. with you, Jeremy. I made country fried merganser. That was good. <laughs> country fried merganser. <laughs> Where were we from again? <laughs> country fried merganser. Country fried merganser. Jeremy? Um, honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. My family doesn't eat a lot of venison. Um, my wife doesn't like it. Trying to get my kids into it. Um, so a lot of my meat ends up going to buddies or friends or other people that will take it. I, I really like to uh, I like to get after them and I like to hunt them. But uh, I don't get to eat them a lot because it's just me that eats it. So, But I there was a recipe that I made. It was a roast. And I remember thinking, like, this is kind of weird putting this in here, but it had coffee in it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and I gave the recipe to Wilson. Wilson has it, and he he still uses it to this day. But I made that, and that was it's like a crock pot. Kind yeah, of it was like kind of like a crock pot, like mm-hmm. roast, but it had coffee in it, and it was it actually turned like out really well. Brewed brewed coffee. Or, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be the coffee grounds. Yeah, no, it had yeah, it had brewed coffee in it. But that was probably one of the best uh, meals that I've had venison Which, wise. But bringing up like. You know, venison meals, and that's one of the other advantages to late season is that you have a much higher chance of, like, being able to hang your deer. I mean, I don't have a walk-in cooler. I don't have... I'll like, to age it a little yeah, bit Yeah, I mean, you can... Well, that one... The, early season, you... I mean, early yeah, season, you better have your fridge cleared out and space in there if you're going to try to butcher it yourself. But, I mean, it might be an opportunity for a guy that's never tried to do his own butchering. Like, get out there in late season and you have... Yeah. <laughs> that first year where we hunted together, I got that dough and by the time i got it home and 
I hung it up in the shed and and then, you know, got the kids to bed and, you know, everything went back out to it. It was frozen solid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it wasn't aging. Yeah. It wasn't aging. It was just frozen. Yeah. So probably hard to was point, it hard to work with yeah. at that point. Yeah, it was hard to skin yeah. when it was But that's better than the alternative, right? Yeah. I mean if you shoot a deer in archery season or even a lot of times in rifle season around here now, I mean the way it's, it's we've had warmer winters and you don't have as much time to to deal with it, so So Tyler, I know you you're you hunt a little bit. I used to. Yeah. Used to anyway. So your your favorite or preferred wild game. So when we fish. got deer, we'd do three things with it. We we do we can it, and we'd make bologna, and we make jerky. Nice. And maybe some burger if there was some stuff left over. But we do like for burger, we do like fifty fifty beef deer. No, so it wasn't straight venison because it it's kind of dry. It is a little bit it is yeah, dry. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, but my favorite way is to take the canned meat and make, uh, like a stroganoff, like a stroganoff. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I've heard some good things about canned canned deer meat. It's the best, My mom, uh, we had a canning recipe that my mom used to can it. Um, but I haven't done that recently, but it is, it is excellent. You just just dump the can in there once. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. Cause I mean, it, it essentially just like. Slow, it comes out like a pot roast. Yeah, yeah. right. It's, it's really soft. Yeah, you just and heat you, it up and, it's and you throw some it's cream a lot of, in there and you get stroganoff. It's, it's a lot of good. prep work. I mean, you gotta, you know, you're gonna do a lot of processing to get it nice yeah, little cubes ch- and get all the chunk get it as much fat and you know, yeah. it's uh, yeah. but you don't put you don't put liquid in it. I think I put like a couple slices of uh, garlic. Yeah, we had garlic like, and, and canning salt. And the one recipe we had like French onion soup mix was in there. It was really good. In your yeah. canning, in the canning recipe. In the canning recipe, yep. Yeah. So, Jeremy, it sounds like you need to come up with, like, uh, one serving meals so yeah. that you could quickly make. Something, yeah, that I could make and I could eat. I mean, and I could eat leftovers for, you know, at lunch at school or whatever. But, yeah, like, with Lacey not eating it, it's kind of like. I'm, I'm surprised because she ate that squirrel that I made. And I'm you talking now makes she me might have just been nice. it's a mindset for her you know she has it in her mind that she doesn't want to eat like wild game and and i think she's had some bad experiences in the past you know not from me but from other people cooking her wild game and i think that's kind of turned her off so i've never been able to kind of yeah i can see get her that. back into that i can see how well you see when she when you guys come over you know she just she gets real like Nope, not gonna. Uh, yeah. Nope. Yep. She's real. Did Did she try any of that stew that I she brought? She did not. No. She said she was going to, but what kind of stew did you make? She didn't. I I made venison broths last year, and they I didn't put enough pork fat in them, so they were dry. If you tried to grill them, so what I did was I sliced them and fried them in beef tallow in the cast iron skillet, put them in the crock pot with uh, cream of mushroom. Like three or four cups of shredded cheddar cheese, a half a jar of roasted red peppers, a chipotle pepper. What else did I put in there? A little bit spicy there. No, it wasn't too bad. Wasn't too bad. No, because the red peppers weren't spicy. Red peppers, they're just bell peppers. Oh, I think my only complaint was that it was thick. It was thick. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, when I was doing a little bit of research on that recipe, some people would add stock to it 
Yeah. But I didn't I didn't add that. Yeah. So I think you if could I were gonna do it again, I think I would add just a little, little bit of stock. Yeah. Then it sounds pretty good though. Bit. It was it, good. I was I was worried that the the sausage was still gonna be too dry, but I think it I think it worked out. It was out. fine, yeah. Because I put all that in the crock pot and let that cook for you know six hours on low. And I think I put extra beef tallow in there in there to give it some more fat, even though there's probably a lot of fat from the cheese and stuff, but I think it gave it enough moisture. Hey, what was those balls you guys made the one year with like the the fat oh, with the the, the call, call fat? No, uh, what were yeah. those called? They had a name. They were not good though. They I did, didn't. I they, was there when no, you they didn't them. turn out good. Well, I I think I was there and I think I tried them. And yeah, man, they, they look good. way better than they. Yeah, they looked, they good, looked good, but they, they did give not them that. taste good. Yeah. But I think there was like, wasn't there like heart or liver? In yeah, you said you put liver. You might have had a bad. It might have been a bad liver. I think we had it more than once. And my grandpa loves liver. Liver and heart. I thought we tried it more than once. No? I've cooked. I made boudin with... The first year I got this year was a young... It was like a a yearling. And I kept the liver and call fat out of that and made boudin. And it was was really good. Even Lindsay said she liked it. Yeah, Lindsay liked it a lot. That goose you made was pretty good. Oh, that's good goose. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, do you have any oh, more the pastrami? Goose? pastrami? The pastrami or just the straight up smoked goose? The straight up smoked goose. What? You have any more of that? I don't yeah, know if I have I, that. I, I went goose hunting this year. I have. I have Would I you have get like nine geese or something? I, well, the whole there was like six, 16 or 18 hunters, and we got close to 40 geese out of everybody, but I, I brought home nine. What's your favorite deer recipe, Corey? Well, I don't know. That's a good question. It depends on what mood. What mood I'm in? Don't souvé it. We know that. Yeah, the I was just talking with that, talking to or, Justin. Or do about it way that. less than however yeah. long you did it. Yeah, I did a 24 hour long sous vide, and it it came out mushy. It, it, the texture was like, awesome. I mean, it looked beautiful. It looked like a nice pink center, and you know, crusty charred outside. It was it was even flavorful. It just it the, did, the, the that texture, texture was horrible. Like not right. Yeah. yeah, it was not good. I felt bad throwing it away, but I was like, I can't. Yeah. It almost that. it reminded me of eating like deer that was turned into refried beans. <laughs> That's what it reminded me of. Ooh, that sounds terrible. Yeah, it was the texture was not good. That's a, another one I like. My mom makes is uh, she does like steaks, like round steaks, and she'll put them in with uh, like stewed tomatoes and mushrooms and like bake it garlic and oh that's a, that's a good way to make it nice i think the key with venison is the slow cook to get the you know, most tender if it's a not tender piece of meat right you know? yeah so yeah if you're not cooking back straps or yeah tender lines my, my grandfather would always get the smallest deer ever yeah like there'd be like no no oh <laughs> no so i'm, I'm talking he's, he was like so he's just like cory <laughs> I think he was he was in his eighties. It's all right when you get five though. Yeah, you, know? yeah, you get like ten deer a year. <laughs> Bound to be some small ones next time. Yeah, by law, average. Yeah, but yeah, there'd be like ten deer like, sitting still, right? And you'd be like, no, line up, shoot one, and it would be like the smallest deer ever. It'd like be like a dog size, like penny size. <laughs> That's small. It's, it's small. He's going to edit that out, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. What's that? Absolutely. My small deer joke. No problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. It's gone. <laughs> Not even considered. So, uh, 
At the end of the show, we like to do misfires, alibis, or last. This note. is the end already. Uh, we've been talking. For <laughs> well, this just this segment here has been a half hour. Jeez, and right. that first one had to have been longer. It's yeah. kind of fun. I like it. I mean, if you want to keep going, I don't know how many people want to listen to us. Yeah, but... probably not. But <laughs> you never know. But I think I think I think we talked we talked a lot a lot of good information. We talked about a lot of good information for people that don't know about flintlocks and that want to get into it. So there's, I think there's a lot of good information. Yeah. I would say this would be good for somebody that's a beginner that wants to start and get into it. You know, obviously there's going to be people that, you know, want to take it to another level and that's not us. You know, I feel like we're pretty much, I feel like that's where maybe we need to go. Yeah. You no, know, is maybe practice a little bit more and, take what we have and go to another level and like you said go to the range and stuff and try and get better but dial in those different loads know your equipment yeah yeah and just become more familiar but so at the end of the show we like to do we call them misfires alibis or last notes just something that uh you wanted to talk about but you didn't get a chance to talk about um a quick story anything and We'll just, you know, go around the room. Tony, last thought. Man, I don't know. I don't. I think I covered most of the things that I had uh, thought about in advance. Um, hmm. Tell us about um, your first deer with the flintlock. First deer with the flintlock. So my brother-in-law had uh, planted some food plots at a friend's Colin. property. Yep, Colin, and. Uh, he had uh, done quite a bit of hunting in there in archery season, um, and so he finally got a buck, and he had a doe, and so finally I got the scraps. You know, he said, hey, you can hunt my food plot now, All right? So I went out with uh, bow equipment, and I went out with my bow, and uh, had these deer come in and it was like a, like a 40 yard shot. And I was pretty confident with my archery equipment and I drew back and had this doe lined up and like in the heat of the moment, I put my 50 yard pin on instead of my, my 40 yard pin and shot right over the back. So these deer run off the field, like come back in. Couldn't believe it. Like 15 minutes later, they start coming back in. They didn't know what happened. So back again this time i'm like all right i got the 40 yard pin on there but it's late season we were talking about how deer are pretty skittish and uh this doe jumped the string and i like just scraped her back so i was like all right coming back here tomorrow night but no bow went out and bought my flintlock license and came back with a flintlock next night your own flintlock or were you borrowing something? no it was my dad's um so i came back the next night how old were you just uh, I don't know. So, I mean, you had to been an adult. If yeah, you this was, uh, I don't know, this was like 10 years ago, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I used to hunt in uh, in college. I hunted quite a bit with a group of guys that would drive like we do, but these guys would work second shift, and we would hunt. We'd have at least five guys or six guys. You know, on the weekends, we might have 15. And we'd hunt, you know, pretty much most days when we were off for college break. But, I mean, I missed – way more deer than I care to admit before I knew to have a rest and you know a lot of things that we've talked about here so I've missed lots and lots of deer with a flintlock 
Um, but anyway, went back that next night and sat in the stand and it was like no deer came out. It was getting getting to be dark and like one deer comes out right at dark and uh, it ended up being a, a shed buck that I shot. So that was my first year with a flint lock. But yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I was, that was the one I was telling you about. It came out like, you know, last shooting light, got the iron sights and, you know, that's what kind of made me go to the peep site and try to get better. And so, yep. Jeremy, your first deer with flintlock? First deer with the flintlock wasn't terribly long ago, to be honest with you. It was with uh, Kevin Wiltsey and Ernie. Um, oh, his dad. Hunting up at, uh, yeah, Kevin's dad hunting up at that property where we got in all those turkeys in the spring. Oh, okay. And we put on a drive. They put on like a, it was like a two-man drive. I don't even know why we were hunting together. I, I must have just called Kevin up and said, hey, you know, you want to go out and hunt or something but i don't know why it's an odd group for the, the three of us to be together but um they put me in a little <clears throat> little section of woods and kevin went down below and ernie i don't know where he started he started up the road and they all came to me and it wasn't oh i don't know they said that it was kind of a foolproof foolproof drive that day like they knew i mean they had done that drive a, mu- a bunch of different times and first group of deer came through and i think i whiffed on the first, you know, deer came through and I shot and missed and I was all upset with myself and, you know, like, ah, oh, I blew my opportunity. I, I reloaded pretty quick, but I was like, pretty much like, this is over, this is done with. And then about the time I said that, like, I turned around and there's one standing right behind me, like came right through the field, standing right out in the middle of the field behind me. And I turned around and I shot and actually didn't make a great shot on it. I ended up hitting, hitting it in the neck and then, uh. Yeah, I mean that was I mean that was the first that was probably only five years ago maybe or something like that. So I really haven't muzzled or hunted all that much. Um, Unfortunately, I, I for missed me, a few before <clears throat> that, but I don't think I ever yeah. killed a deer before. I think that was the first year I killed with a muzzleloader. I feel like unfortunately for me, I mean it's it's been a season where I've had. I mean, I've been really fortunate. The deer that I've hit with a bow and with a rifle, I've killed. Like, I haven't lost many deer. But with a, unfortunately, with like, I don't know if it's round balls, and I've just, I've had some, I think I wounded two deer with a muzzleloader before I killed the one that I got. And then just had that recent experience with my son where he hit one and we didn't get it. So it's been, uh, it's, that's the, I guess for me is a little bit of the bad part about maybe with the flintlock and the round ball. I feel like. And I had that one that uh, went out on the island. Shot together. That one went yeah, a long that, ways. Those are the. the I missed we, pretty much the whole day of hunting that day, yeah, tracking that tracking one. You guys yeah, all yeah, kept the, doing drives, and I, I just kept tracking and tracking that's and tracking. That's a crazy story. So you, that, you've gotten two with the flintlock, and that's. I think that's it. I think it's those two. Here, I thought you guys were stacking them up, yeah. and it was me that wasn't getting anything. No, I don't shot three. You shot so, three, and yeah. the, the last two have been, you got one a couple years ago on our drive. Yep. And then I remember like a year or two yeah, before that I got one that solo, one, yeah. Behind the yep. house. Yep, behind the house, right. yep. Which that's that's one of the best, that's one of the things I like about flintlock hunting, though, too, is like, I don't know, with a rifle, a lot of times they just drop, right? I mean, I don't know. Had a lot of times where that happens, or and with a bow, you can see the hit, right? Like you generally, you can you know whether you killed that deer or not. With a flintlock, you know you got a cloud of smoke, smoke that goes yeah. up, and it's like 
that first one I killed, I remember it was like dusky. I was in a tree stand. I shot. It was dark. A deer spun and ran back, but I had no idea that I, if I hit it or not. And I went down, and I remember actually like I saw where the ball was rolling through the snow. Like I could see the where like the trace of the ball. And I'm thinking, okay, I must have missed it, right? And I, I fall. Like a, yeah, that's a good thing to point out is that you really got to. You really got to really check gotta the track. Check. I mean, because you had that happen too, yeah. right? Yeah, the, that first the one, one he killed. Yep. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I tracked this deer maybe like 30 yards before I even got a drop of blood. Um, and it was just little drops, little drops. And then it started being like like strings of blood, which I've never seen before with like rifles or bows. It's usually a spraying, right? I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, I like, you know, and then so then you're like, okay, I hit it, you know, and you, it's just the excitement of uh, not knowing yeah, and then you finally you find that deer piled up. It's it's pretty exciting. So, but yeah, I mean, then the other ones that I've killed have been similar. You know, it's like you don't you don't know until you you start tracking them. So that's what snow helps a yeah, lot. Yeah. So, Tyler, I'm I don't think you've gotten one with a flintlock before. Nope. Zero. Do, do you want to talk? Have you gotten about, one with a rifle? Yeah. yeah. Do, do you want to tell us about your first time? First one with the rifle? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think it was my second year hunting. So you were, you were like 12, 13, 13, 14. 13 to 14. And uh, I was by myself in the deer stand. And this little eight point comes down through. And like, you know, back then I was like so excited. I could barely get it into my scope. And then it stops, and it stops behind this big oak tree. And I can only see, like, its tail and, like, the tip of its nose. So I'm sitting there waiting for the stupid deer to, to move. And it finally got out just enough that I could get a shot. And I got that deer. That was pretty cool. It was, like, a little tiny eight-point, like, maybe... Who were you hunting with? Were you hunting right through your grandfather? Or... Yeah. Yeah. He was he was uh, in a different stand a little ways away. I think so. I think it was like an eight-inch spread. It was like super tiny, but it was an eight-point. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Oh yeah, it's a trophy. Yeah. That's what's yeah. that's what's awesome about the late season too. Is like again, like any deer is a trophy in my opinion. I mean, it's it could be the smallest little doe. I mean, but yeah, that was cool. Permanent equipment, but yeah, I mean, it's all about. Like, I think all, all the deer I've got though has been been less than fifty yards. I think. So you'd be perfect. I'd be perfect for muzzleloader. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So the, the first one I got with Flintlock was on our yearly drive, the first year that I went. And it was actually my third shot of the day. The first that was shot. your first muzzleloader deer? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. The, the first shot of that day was at a coyote, and I missed. And the second shot was on that same drive that I got the deer. It was just like five minutes before, like, this deer came. And, like, what you're saying, they're coming... You know, they're they're moving, and I'm like, I got to shoot now. So I shoot, and I miss, and then they just come closer and stand there, and there's nothing I can do. And so, you know, I try to reload, and they run away, and I get reloaded, and another one comes through, and they're they're further away, and I, I shoot at that one, and smoke in front of my face. So, you, you know, did I hit it? I don't know. They're gone. I don't know which way they went because the smoke, <laughs> yeah. you know. So... I hurry up and, and load again, 
And this another deer comes in 50 yards away and stops broadside in front of my face, but I'm in the process of reloading. So even if I wanted to shoot, I couldn't shoot. And then it runs. And then you guys come through as drivers. And uh, Jason know. saw that deer bedded down. He says, hey, that, your deer he, bedded down, you know, and he saw it. And I was I, like, I, oh, yeah. yeah. So we started stalking up on it. And yeah, I was up, up on the hill. I was like, yeah, he was yeah. like right in that area where I shot. And, and I, then all of a sudden I see you and Jason hunker down and start sneaking. And I'm like, what's going on? And then I hear kapow. And I'm like, I mean, it was it was on its you know last leg. I mean, it was just a mercy yeah. situation. I mean, yeah. it was it was done for. I mean, I point blank. I, I still like for the longest time I was like, they just shot a random one and said it was mine because I didn't want to have to clean <laughs> a deer, or drag a deer out. I'm not that nice, Corey. <laughs> but then my second one. So I've never made the greatest shot on a deer. The second. Um, deer i ever got i think was the next year and i was hunting out of my rifle stand on on the hunting lease and um like this one came through and my gun went to go off and like half hour later these somebody must have walked through the woods and they pushed these eight deer in front of me and i picked out one and the like they stopped for a second i picked out one i shot i hit it right in the ass end but she fell over right there and, and then I shot her again. And so none of my shots have been the greatest, but they worked. worked yeah. But I missed last year. I missed two on our drive. And well, it was yeah, just. Yeah, you did, didn't you? Yeah. But, Might be a driver next year. <laughs> 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 you bring up a good point. So, and it goes back to having a rest when you shoot i think yep. that that first one on that day it was it was close that smallest tip i mean it's like really helped me a lot is having a rest i mean if you're not sitting in a tree stand that has a rest or where you can rest on your knee like yeah. if you can grab a tree or sapling or i always do that even in rifle season yeah, yeah. you know yeah. what i mean like it's yep. particularly important with muzzleloader but even yeah. with rifle, rifle yeah i don't like shooting off handy it's with a no. rifle i feel like carrying around a shooting stick is a bit of a pain it is you know but it's but if you're a stander and you're doing drives right i mean it's not that that not that big of a deal and then if you're going quiet and you're trying to put mine in my my fits right in my backpack collapse them down and yep no it's nice i think it's a key key tip for the flintlock hunter that's not a guy that shoots flintlocks all the time right well um I think we're going to wrap up. Just want to thank everybody for listening. Um, we're going to put the show notes online, so links to all the the tool, different tools we were talking about, and uh, the other information and and the different guns. We'll uh, I'll put links in the show notes. Um, like always, uh, head over to our uh, social media pages: Instagram, Facebook. We. Uh, just started a Facebook community group for fans of the show. So um, check that out. Uh, you'll have insider information, um, kind of a behind-the-scenes look. You'll We're going to do a question-and-answer podcast, and you can post your questions in there, that, and we'll talk about them on the podcast. So check that out. If you haven't already, like uh, and subscribe to the podcast, and make sure you hit that five-star review tell us what we're doing wrong tell us what we're doing right all right thanks for having us yeah thanks for listening yeah, to yeah. Fun. thanks for coming on 
and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.